Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, I think we've decanted for long enough. It's time to sit back and enjoy Two Sharp Reds with Mark Schwarzer and Ollie Geel. Yes, that's it. It's my favourite time of the week. Welcome back to another episode of Two Sharp Reds with myself, Ollie Geel, and of course, Arnold Schwarzer. Arnold, how are we, mate? We're looking forward to another episode. I am, yeah. Very much I'm excited about this one, really. I have to say, um, I don't get excited too often, but I'm definitely excited about this one because particularly of our guest who's coming on today. That's exactly right. We'll get to that very shortly. But, of course, today we are trying a beautiful drop from uh, First Drop Wines. It is, of course, Mother's Milk Express Post from Adelaide, the Barossa Valley. Uh, It has come to my house only, not yours yet, Mark. And I promise you it will get there in the next um, 30 to 40 weeks if I get around to remembering to send it. Thank you very much, mate. I I actually don't think it will arrive because I think you'll drink it before you send it. No, it won't arrive, but I just thought I'd do the honours by at least being polite. Uh, now, you were very excited to uh, get to our guests. So I thought, uh, you know, I don't want to ruin your, your Christmas morning almost, so I'll let you do the honours. Well, yes, um, like I said, very excited to introduce Thomas Broich. He's obviously, as for Australian fans, you all know him, Brisbane Raw, was there for seven years. We were talking just before off camera, uh, off the recording, how long that, that, that is, and he himself couldn't believe. Uh, how long he was at Brisbane Raw, and uh, you know had a wonderful career there, was instrumental in their success, and we've got a lot to talk about. Um, very excited about not only about Australia, the A League, but also about the Bundesliga. So here it is, Thomas Broich, welcome. Yeah, hi guys, great to be on the show. <laughs> Brilliant, great to have you, mate. Thanks a lot for for coming on board, mate. There's so much to talk about. First and foremost, this weekend we've got the Bundesliga restarting. What's it been like being on the ground in Germany with no football? It's been completely weird because I've been super busy. Like, you name it, cup games, Champions League, Bundesliga. I've pretty much uh, been to a game every three days. And in between, I had to prepare. And there was never a dull moment, really. And all of a sudden, they just sort of unplugged us. And we went from 100 to zero. And there was nothing left to do. This weekend, obviously, you're full into it. You've got two games this weekend, haven't you? Tell us which games you're involved in. Well, I'm doing uh, Leipzig on uh, Saturday against Freiburg. And then uh, Union Berlin against Bayern. So I guess that's a pretty cool way to, to get started again. Absolutely it is. And, and how does it feel preparing for a game? Does it feel like for you, it feels like the start of a new season? Like, do you have to almost pretend that it's we're starting from scratch or or do you think that the, the teams will be picking up where they left off you know the thing is in germany we do have a winter break and that's exactly what it feels like like it's been six weeks off now and you sort of remember what happened before christmas so before the corona crisis but you're not too sure where the teams stand and uh what the fitness levels will be like whether or not they'll apply the same tactics so it's a bit of uncertainty but at the same time at the same time, it's still the same season, same players, no transfers and all that. So it's a bit of a weird situation. 
you think, though, um, it's been disappointing, really, for so many reasons, obviously missing out on football, but more so because there's so many teams in the running to win the Bundesliga title this year. Um, it's like no other. Last season, there was a bit of a scare for Bayern Munich. Uh, Dortmund pushed them all away. But this season, we're looking at a number of four or five teams could really challenge uh, Bayern this season. Who, who are your favourites outside of Bayern? Uh, I'd say Leipzig because they have a very talented, very intelligent, very ambitious young coach. He's got that winning edge, that winning mentality about him. I mean, Dortmund, they have fantastic players, very smart coach too. But with them, you sometimes get the impression they're a little bit too soft or lacking in, in, in self-belief. And with Leipzig, I get the feeling that they could go all the way but having that, that um, Bayern under Hansi Flick are next level at the moment. But I should say when before they, they uh, had to stop uh, the football they were playing was so dominant. Um, to me, they're clearly the favourites. Um, we saw on the weekend K-League uh, is back underway. So we've got that sort of high level of professional football. But of course, uh, Brighton have announced that they've had three unnamed players tested positive for COVID-19, as well as five players across the two top flights in Spain. Do you think this weekend should still go ahead? I find it really... Hard to, to be the, the judge here. Um, I can understand people who say, well, it's too early. I totally understand uh, the pressures uh, the clubs uh, are under. I mean, we all know that not just health-wise, but also economically, um, this experience is quite costly for, for everyone. And um, I'd say we can only really tell in hindsight which measures were necessary or, um, you know, the, the decision now to, to open up the economy a little bit to to sort of end the lockdown in its, uh, in its current form, whether that's good timing or bad timing, it's, it's a really um, hard place to be in for, for all those politicians and, and even the clubs to, to make that kind of call. And I feel like I'm, I'm at home. I'm not a virologist. Um, I, I'm no expert on the matter and I shouldn't really contribute by having my own opinion. I, I don't know much about it. There's a lot of uncertainty and I just hope that the people who actually make the calls know what they're doing. Uh, you, you said before, though, um, you're enjoying your time off. You've had a lot of time to, to have downtime after being such a busy period. So let's be honest, you're seriously going to miss those two hours a day at the swimming pool, aren't you? Man, I, I've been super lucky. I mean, a lot of people are struggling and I really feel with them. But me personally, um, I've got a pool and the fantastic weather in Bavaria most of the time uh, I, I get to enjoy. So I almost feel guilty at times. But at the same time, um, it wasn't just a vacation. Um, I, I really made, made the most of this time because it gave me an opportunity to go through all the, the goals the clubs have scored throughout the season and sort of analyze them, categorize them. And uh, I like to think that I, I even learned a little bit and uh, furthered my knowledge during that time. So you're living up to the name of Mozart. Mozart. Is that correct? <laughs> well, actually, I've been uh, playing a guitar a lot lately. Have you? Have you? Well, obviously, the reference to Mozart is when you were playing, your teammates named you that, nicknamed you Mozart, because you listen, yeah, to, you listen to classical music as well. Have you been listening to any now? Not at all. I've been listening to Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> respect. Hard respect. respect. <laughs> <laughs> to tell you the truth, uh, that nickname, um, I, I was in the car, I picked up a teammate, we went to training, and I was listening to uh, Karl Orff. So it wasn't even Mozart, but then he had to do an interview, and he's saying, oh, you get into this... Uh, guy's car and all you listen to is Mozart and that <laughs> just uh, ever since stuck with me <laughs> brilliant well it's a great nickname uh, and I'd take it no matter what and, and another sort of 
not necessarily a nickname, but a title you got was from your former manager in Ange Poster, Coglu. He believes that you're the best foreigner to ever play in the A-League. Do you, do you agree with that? <laughs> First of all, I'm, I'm really honoured. But I think there have been, uh, even during my time, uh, some players, even at Brisbane, I think of uh, Corona, who's been an outstanding player, um, who's definitely not any, any worse than me. And other guys uh, like Ninkovic, uh, there have been quite some spectacular players in the A-League. And I think it's hard to say who's the best. I guess I was kind of lucky that I got to work under Ainge. We were the best team at the time. We had the best coach at the time. And uh, the way he shaped us as, uh, as people really uh, not just transformed the football landscape in Australia, but a lot of the players uh, as well, including me. So you, you talk very fondly of Ange. Does he go down as being one of the best managers you've ever worked with? Well, I'd say the best manager I've ever had, hands down. I've never um, experienced anything like that in terms of professionalism. You know how he's all about not making any excuses and always uh, being very ambitious and, you know, reaching for the stars, but not just wishful thinking, but, you know, getting to work and um, not limiting yourself at all. Um, I really like that kind of approach and also the way he studied the game. Uh, he was a student of Barcelona and, um, and Bayern Munich at the time and he sort of mimicked that style and he had a, a way of um, sort of decoding that style and making us understand what's, what's going on. And I, I personally, I found, found it never easier playing than under Ainge. I, I felt like, oh, there's so much time, there's so much space. I have multiple options. The opposition don't even know what to do. So it was basically him who made me such a good player. Were you surprised um, at the way that the Australian public, the media treated him leading up to the 2018 World Cup and, and also that he left his role as national team manager? Uh, I was really surprised. And I was also surprised to, to see him go to Japan because I really thought um, he might have gone to Europe and I'm, I'm still hoping for that. Um, I know with his approach, um, a lot of people tend to criticize him because it, it might take a while for it to, to actually kick in, like his methods and, and all that. And the success uh, might take a while to show because it's, it's a very... It's a challenging playing style. It's all about dominating games. It's all about playing football on the deck. And when you don't have the best players in the country, um, sometimes uh, you suffer a lot of setbacks and, and people really, really doubted him. And I guess uh, that's where he takes a lot of uh, motivation from as well. So talking about when you were playing under him, you, you, you played for a couple of the biggest names in German football, in, in Gladbach and also Cologne. Moving to to uh, to Brisbane must have been a big culture shock at first, I would imagine, both for football and in lifestyle. But you touched on the fact that seven years you spent in the A-League at Brisbane. What was the defining factor in the fact that you stayed there for so long in the end? I guess it was um, the fact that I fell in love with football again. Because uh, when I left Germany, I was pretty uh, disillusioned. I, I hit a dead end. I, basically, I was done playing. I, thought about um, quitting and uh, leaving football behind and then working under Ainge obviously was a dream come true for me and I've never enjoyed my football more. We had a great team at the time, great players, smart players too and also what I really appreciated about Australia and that's not just Brisbane, that's the A-League as a whole and Australia as a sporting nation, um, their mentality. Like in, in Germany it's quite common that leading up to games you take it really easy and uh, you know, as you know, big players sometimes 
act like a bit of a diva and, and all that. And with Brisbane, I found that this particular group of players, it was all about hard work. It was about never taking the foot off the gas. And um, I've, I've never experienced anything like that in my life before. When I uh, joined them in preseason, I couldn't believe the intensity, not always the quality, but the, the sheer um, the willpower, the, the willingness to, to suffer and give it your best every day. And that really rubbed off. Like after a while, like in the beginning, I was like, these guys are crazy. What are they doing? Just conserve some energy and stuff like that. But after, you, after a while, you get to appreciate this. And I became exactly like that. I didn't want to take my foot off the pedal anymore. So you, uh, by sounds of things, you, you hold hands slightly higher than Div Avocat and Christoph Dolm uh, in your rankings as managers. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about those. You've got stories because obviously you had Christoph Dolm when you were at Cologne and also then you had uh, Avocat at Borussia Mönchengladbach. See, I didn't have you for a player or a person and I'd met you a couple of times that would be outspoken. I know you've got, you've got strong views, but necessarily go against the grain, go against the authority. Um, but they're two people that didn't really, didn't sit well with you. You rubbed each other up the wrong way. Is that fair to say? It's fair to say, but I'd say it's not their fault. I, like, I'd say I was a young kid and I wanted uh, to have success my way and I wasn't necessarily good at dealing with criticism or people being of a different opinion or maybe even picking other people over me. I took it very personally. And my way of dealing with it was to become a rebel. So I antagonized a lot of coaches and it took me a long, long time to realize what I was at. Uh, what I was doing and it, it was basically Ainge who, who changed that who made who made me take responsibility for my life before that I was always pointing the finger and said oh this guy doesn't like me or why is this player playing and I'm not playing I'm way better than him this is just personal preferences or, or whatnot rather than looking the other way and, and asking myself well what can I do to make people like me what can I do to uh, improve as a football player and make sure I get into that team but I was basically like a spoiled child. Was there a moment under Ange where you, where the penny dropped, where you realized, I mean, did you question Ange? Did you actually give him excuses for why, maybe why something didn't work for you? Um, at times I did. Like when he made us um, play out from the back, no matter what, there were moments when we were thinking, they putting pressure on us, like seven people close to our own box. And you want us to still play through that sort of pressure? It's like, that's insane. That's ridiculous. And I was about to question that. But then eventually, with all the success, um, I had to just shut up and believe in what he was doing. <laughs> and also, we had moments like we were playing in uh, North Queensland at the time, Fury. Um, and it was hot and, and humid as it is. And uh, we went for a walk in the morning and everyone was just, uh, you know, whinging. And he got the group together and he was basically yelling at us uh, for being such... You know, like, yeah. yeah, like, you know, always complaining, always whinging, always, even before the game, finding excuses for why we might not be able to perform. And that's when it, it really became so apparent for me. Yeah, that's exactly what we're doing. Like, we're just going for a team walk and basically we're lining up all the reasons why we could potentially draw points. And even more so after he was gone, I felt the difference. It was one thing working under him. But having um, experienced that kind of level in sort of professionalism and the quality of the football, and then after that, we never got to those heights again. And you did realize why. And being a bit softer 
was one of the reasons. Like you become sort of satisfied with where you're at, you're not working as hard. And, you know, um, after he, he left, we almost missed out on the finals. And it was only the year after that when Mike Mulvey took over that um, we sort of got our acts back together and uh, became champions again. I'd be interested to hear on the flip side then your experiences playing under John Aloisi at the club. How did you find him as a manager? Um, I actually liked him as a coach. I thought uh, he was very good tactically. Um, I even um, use a lot of the stuff that he taught me to this day. Oh, um, no. Oh, no. Don't say that because his head's just going to get so big now. <laughs> <laughs> now, I always thought uh, he was a very charismatic coach as well. The one thing that I'd say that sets Ainge apart um, was Ainge was a bit braver. I was fed with John something was holding us back just a little bit. And I put it down, that's just me personally, to the, the willingness to take risks. Like he, he always sort of had a, a safe option. Like for instance, Andrew was playing with the one number six. He made us play out from the back no matter what. With uh, John, which was tactically totally sound, it was like, well, you either do this or that. When they um, press high up the field, well, then you have to realize there must be space elsewhere. So maybe start hitting long balls. But you know what happens as footballers? You sometimes take the easy option then and you start hitting long balls all the time and your game just goes out of the window. So Angel's willing, unwillingness not to compromise, guess was his uh, greatest strength which also can lead to one of his weaknesses where, where it now allows people to criticize him because of that greater strength. Cause he's, he's one would say he's determination to play one particular style of football. Uh, yeah. That leaves him wide open to, to criticism as, as soon as he doesn't produce the results. And I was in a position, I was working under him when we were truly successful and I know how quickly that can turn. If you are that persistent with your approach, if you're not willing to compromise at all or have a plan B and you don't produce results, well, you know football yourself, then you're in big trouble. So one of the roles you want to get, you want to get into coaching yourself. So you've been doing a lot of study. You've been uh, studying for your, your coaching badges, also do a lot of TV work, analyzing games. Um, and you've just recently been appointed as uh, under-15s coach for Eintracht Frankfurt. Is that right? Yeah, that's pretty exciting. It's me and uh, Jerome Polens, who was at Western Sydney Wanderers yes. and uh, won the premiership with them and the Asian Champions League so people might remember him as well and we're sort of we're business partners these days and uh, we're teaming up as, as coaches as well and for us after three years of um, you know studying basically uh, the tactics uh, of the game you know the theoretical side of things we want to um, go and find out whether or not we're able to actually apply it in a similar way as uh, Tony Popovich did and uh, Ainge Postecoglou. Do you see your future in Europe or, or possibly back in Australia one day? Um, both actually, like for now, obviously it's important to get my badges and this is a very good, uh, career option at this is time for me in, in Frankfurt. But I've always said that one day I want to come back to the A-League and, and coach as well. Cause, uh, I think it's a, it's a pretty cool football landscape. The fact that you have a very long preseason, the fact that there's no relegation, I guess you can really thrive as a head coach and you, you get the time to actually develop players and develop uh, a team. So that is something that might be a little bit more difficult in, in European leagues. 
would you change the format of the A-League? Would you allow, because there's a big discussion in Australia, we're talking, you know, at the moment it's 11 teams coming up to 12 teams. Um, the growth of the game is huge. We need more teams in the top flight. Would promotion and relegation be something that you would think should be introduced to the game? Well, there's pros and cons. Like I said, um, I like the fact that um, you can sort of try out things and not running the risk of getting uh, relegated. But um, on the other hand, it's very true. Like some teams, they can basically stop playing after match day 15 because they know that's it. We're not going to make the finals. So it, it adds a bit of uh, extra pressure and that kind of pressure might make the competition better too. And also, you know, that level of competition, you cannot become complacent at all if there's teams uh, smaller clubs that are really pushing for it uh, you have to constantly be on your toes so it can actually work both ways I guess so Thomas before we let you go here on the two sharp reds we have to ask are you a wine fan or, or are you sort of to your roots a bit more of a beer drinker well I'm a, I'm a whiskey guy these days <laughs> <laughs> not even that often okay so uh, what's your preferred whiskey uh, Shiva's Regal. Oh, of course, yeah, it's a, it's a nice drop. <laughs> it is a nice. I, I, I'm actually a big fan of uh, Monkey Shoulder. Have you heard of it? No. But Monkey Shoulder is really, really nice. Or yeah. another one called Copper Dog. Uh, Copper Dog's a big. I'm a big favourite of it as well. Big fan of. When you come to Cologne next time, we should have a glass of. We whiskey. should absolutely. But funny thing is that uh, the wine you just had, Mother's Milk. I've had that when I was uh, living in in Australia. There you go. There you go. It's it's delicious. So it is from Nuriutba in uh, the Adelaide Hills area, uh, and it's a delicious drop. It's uh, it's not right up your Strasser mark in terms of you know it's a it's a nice Shiraz, but it's it's a beautiful drop. You're turning beautiful. me, mate. You're turning me. So yeah. I am. I am. Uh, you know, I do. I do like a Shiraz as well. Um, I, I've I've actually got the Merlot out. Nice. <laughs> you guys are so sophisticated. <laughs> yeah. We try to be. We try and have to. That's why I'm wearing my glasses as well. Oh, it's working <laughs> for you, man. <laughs> Halftime drinks here on the Two Sharp Reds. I'm, of course, drinking the Mother's Milk from First Stop Rhines, which arrived to me, Mark, this very morn. So I've got two bottles uh, sent from Nuriutpa, of course, the, the home of the brave, they call it uh, in Adelaide. But that's uh, arrived at my door today. So you don't have your bottle yet, but I'm going to try everything I can to not have yours. So hopefully either I can send it to you for next week's episode or alternatively, we could save it for the reunion when we get to do this back in the same room. I think it's important that we save it for a very special occasion. And let's make let's earmark that bottle as yep. our bottle our, of our first reunion where we sit down and have our proper face-to-face chat and podcast opening up a fantastic bottle of wine. Just a real, one of those deep breaths and a yeah. cheers. So before How you, crazy was that? Oh, absolutely. And before you start, I'm drinking a wine called Paris Street. It's a Merlot. So w- which country do you think it's from? Look, you'd think it's a, a, a French number, you, if I was to guess. Okay. Are you, are you guessing France? Yeah. That's I too, mean, that's too obvious, though, isn't it? Let, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, li- literally, it okay. is too obvious. Knowing you, it's either uh, a Chilean wine or from south of Spain? Uh, you're wrong on all accounts, mate. This is, this is something, and I didn't realise I actually even had this bottle of wine. Um, I was part of a wine club, so you get this box of mixed different types of wine. And it's a Merlot, and I love Merlot. It's a Romanian wine. It's a Paris Street, and I'll give you a bit of a blurb on the back here. 
Uh, Paris Street is located in one of the loveliest, liveliest, and most bohemian parts of the Romanian city of Bucharest, a city often referred to as Little Paris. There you go. There you I've go. Not, have, have you been to Bucharest? Uh, I have. Yes, I have. Um, I've been there to play style Bucharest uh, in the right. UEFA UEFA Cup back in the day with uh, with Middlesbrough. It was uh, I was there. It was our first leg of the quarterfinals of the UEFA Cup. And are they right? Is it considered Little Paris? You know what? It was really yeah. It was really it was really lively. Um, a lot going on. There was traffic everywhere. People everywhere. And we only ventured a very in a small sort of radius of the hotel, and it looked really cool. Um, obviously, everyone knew we were in town, so you couldn't go too far. There was a lot, a lot of football fans around, but it was a place that I thought one day I'd like to go back to because it looks pretty cool. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're going on tour like that and you're going to all these fantastic places as a, as a football club, do you kind of doggy you know doggy year the places that you think that you go hmm yeah wait until I'm done and this is definitely the sort of place I'm coming back to to, to do it properly yeah one of those places funny enough and it, it, it's, it's it's bloody obvious let's be honest it's Rome so I went to Rome with Middlesbrough as well we played a, a, a UEFA the same year we played a UEFA Cup there we played them I think it was around the 16 so the knockout stages of the UEFA Cup and our second leg was in Rome and the day of the game in the morning, they, they organised for any of the staff and anyone who actually wanted to go on like an hour bus trip just to, to a bit of sightseeing trips around Rome. And of course, I'm like, no chance. I'm not going out the day of the game. I'm going to stay in my room, relax, get a, you know, conserve energy and everything else. But it was so beautiful. Rome, Rome is so beautiful. And I thought, you hear all the stories. You talk, people talk about the, the, the attractions and you think, come on, is it really that good? Is it that good? I'm telling you, it's better. And I, I went back there a couple of years later um, with my family. We went there for four days, and that didn't do it any justice. But I, I got a taste of it. And, and I tell you what, the, the place that just I stood there and it, I was in awe of was the Colosseum. Just because of its sheer size, it's it was impressive. It was uh, it was out of this world. It was just like. How is it even possible that they've built this this structure in those times, and it still stands to this day? It's survived earthquakes. It's done everything, and it, it, it's just incredible place. Beautiful spot for a vino too. I would have thought. Oh, the the wine is sensational. The food is on another planet. I loved it, and we actually drove from Rome down to um, down to the Amalfi Coast. So we went to we stopped at uh, Pompeii. Did a bit of sightseeing, spent a day and a half, two days in Pompeii, which was amazing as well. Another great trip. And then on the Malfi Coast is, oh, again, what can I say? I'm, 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 I'm so excited about it because it was such an amazing place. You know, fresh produce, the food, the, the wine was unbelievable. I'm going to clip a few of those quotes up and use them as promotion for the Two Shot Reds. You should, yeah, you should, because, yeah. I it's mean, good, it's good. It can't be that good. It was better. Yeah, <laughs> no. It's going. Exactly. No, it was. 
you've got to go. If you've not been, you've got to go. Uh, Mark, it's a tremendous time to look back and, and uh, think about some you know, major milestones or exciting moments, big games, controversial moments, but it's a special day for you in the fact that it's the 27th, I believe, anniversary of your debut for the national side. And I thought, look, what I'm going to do is I've cracked this beautiful uh, bottle of Mother's Milk open for me. I'm just going to sit back, relax, and, and I want you to just talk me through it because this is the, the day that every kid literally dreams of. Uh, yeah, it was pretty incredible if I think back at it. And, and, and like you said, 27 years. Um, I, I'm not quite sure exactly the date. So whether it was 27 years or just short of 27 years or just over, I'm not really sure anymore when that game was or those two games against Canada. So obviously I made my debut in the first leg away from home. And, and Paul Wade has just recently, today being quoted um, about that very moment of the two of us sitting next to each other on the bench and it's true, we were, we were sitting there, as the game kicks off, we're counting flags, Aussie flags in the, in, in the stand. And bearing in mind, and, and, and Paul Wade says that he was, you know, we, we were both upset about not playing. I, I've got to correct that bit. He was really upset about not playing because he was, he was the current captain and it was the first time he'd been, been, uh, been dropped as, as the national team captain. So I'm sitting here next to him on the bench and I just couldn't believe that I was even there. You know, two weeks before, I was sitting in my apartment in in, uh, in Fairfield, out of west of Sydney, and uh, just talking, thinking about, okay, I need to start my preseason a little bit, get you know, preseason training, get back into fitness a little bit before the new season began with Marconi. And then all of a sudden, I get a phone call saying you need to get to Canada, and I'm like, what? What? What is this? And it was a national team call up uh, because Mark Bosnich couldn't make it, and uh, I found myself there five days before the game training. And I remember one of the first training sessions we did was at a local park. So this is the national team of Australia playing a World Cup qualifier and we're training in a local park. It was insane. Um, and then fast forward game day next to Paul Wade, counting all the flags in the stands. And then all of a sudden, I think it was like the 14th or 16th minute. Uh, there's, a, there's a breakaway. Canada's run on, one-on-one with Robbie Zabika. He comes out of his box and there's a collision. There's a coming together of, of the two. Uh, the Canadian player goes flying. And I'm just thinking, ah, it's a yellow card. And I'm not even really... I, I don't think I, I know the magnitude of it. I just, I, I'm just probably thinking in my head, no, no, there's no way he's going to get sent off. It's impossible. And all of a sudden, the red card comes out. And I just... I stand up. And I just look. And then I look at the manager. And he looks at me. He says, get ready. He sort of shouts at me. And then I, I'm like, God, you know, what is going on here? And I'm like quickly getting dressed and getting ready. And I'm making my debut for the national team at the age of, what is it, 19 years old, I think I was. Incredible story. And I would imagine for you thinking, okay, so everyone takes your opportunity. You know, you've really got to grasp onto it when you debut, right? You, you know, you really, you, you have to impress. But from a goalkeeper's perspective, you never know how many chances you, you might get. So if that game doesn't go well, we would you be thinking to yourself, oh, maybe, you know, maybe that's it because, you know, Bozza could stick around or, or you know, uh, Kalic could, could, you know, leapfrog you in that, in that respect. Was that going through your mind at all? You, you're, always, you're always thinking about potential, you know, what could happen, um, you know, who could take your position. If you don't take your opportunity, what could actually happen? And, uh, and I was in that position, but you don't have time to think about it. When you're on the bench and all of a sudden a player gets sent off and you are thrown into this environment 
you're just like, wow, I've got to seize this moment. And all you're thinking about is, right, I've got to go out there, do my job, and then hope for the best that it's all going to work out. And, and, and for me, the game went okay. I, I made a couple of decent saves. The goals I couldn't really do much about in the first leg away from, from home. So we, we, we kind of limp home a little bit, 2-1 down from the first leg. And the big question mark in those days also, the game was two weeks later. It wasn't actually a week later, it was two weeks later. So always the big question was all the way up to the lead up of the game, and I think it was probably only confirmed maybe three or four days before the game, was Mark Bosnich going to be available? Was he going to be able to come back and play in this game now? And I'm sure there was a lot of frantic calls being made by Eddie Thompson, the manager at the time, and the FA uh, or Soccer Federation of Australia to, to try and persuade him, trying to convince him to come back and play in this game. Um, and in the end, it didn't happen. And I remember literally four or five days before the, the game, we're, we're training and we're doing this crossing session, shooting session. I've come out and uh, uh, punched a ball and it didn't go quite as far as you normally want. Or I was coming out and trying to take crosses and and the odd one or two, you, you know, you got bumped and there was a collision. And I remember the, one of the assistant managers come up to me, Rob Laker, going and, and basically walking up to me and whispering to me, going and says to me, if you just realise you could be out of this team as quickly as you got in it. And I'm like, <clears throat> I was just like, what? What is he on about? Like, what? Oh, am I training that badly that you think that, you know, anyway. It, it, was, it was one of those moments where you just kind of think, it's stuck in my mind forever. And, uh, and then a couple of days later, you're playing in this game. You're playing in, in the biggest game in your career to, to that date. Um, and you know what's running on the game. You know, it's 27,000, I think it was, at the Sydney Football Stadium. Um, and the game went okay. And then there was the moment where Canada scores a goal. And I, and I, I should have saved it. Uh, I, I tried to catch it. I should have parried it. And uh, it ends up going inside the post. And, and, and it was a half-decent finish, but, but I should have saved it. And then you're thinking, oh no, you know, now I'm gonna, I've made a mistake. It's going to cost us, and we're going to be knocked out of this World Cup. And fortunately enough, we go on, and the pressure's there, and we go on, and we get, we get the goal we need to to draw, like to be equal in aggregate. And it gets forced to extra time, and ends up ultimately being penalty shootout. And the rest is history. But I think a lot of people that day thought that there was no way in the world we were going to win. I've got this, you know, this 19-year-old guy in goal, and looks nervous. He's made a mistake in the game, and there's no chance. Um, you just you know you believe in your own ability and you just think right okay this is my moment to try and prove everyone wrong and yes I did make a mistake but that's a hiccup and hopefully I can make amends and it was nice to play your part again it certainly was your moment because the footage that I I watched today which was fantastic of course before you make the save you've gone up to the penalty spot and you're trying to psych out I'm not sure who who was taking the the kick at the time but for a 19 year old to step up like that in hindsight because it was weird for me watching it back. I thought, that doesn't surprise me that you were doing it. But then it did surprise me that it's a 19-year-old doing it, in a sense. And, and that it went so well for you in the end would have just been a huge relief. Because it, it could have been a bit of a turning point. Yeah, even. I suppose in so many ways at the time you're thinking, you know, there's kind of no pressure on, or little pressure on me because you're an unknown. No one expects you to do anything anything really they're all expecting um, Canada to have they've got more experience they've got a goalkeeper in goal in uh, I think it was Forrest his name was Craig Forrest who played in the Premier League was playing in the Premier League at the time with Ipswich 
and you know he's got all the experience in the world and he should make the saves and and help Canada get through to the final stage of qualification um, so all you're doing really is you're thinking right okay how can I try and put a bit more pressure on the on the opposition taker and and let's be honest a penalty taker has far more pressure on them than the goalkeeper and so you just kind of go okay let, let's go out there let's try and prolong the, the moment a little bit more maybe it's going to put him off maybe it doesn't and and obviously it played its part because you know the kick he tried to go down the middle and it enabled me to stay up long enough get my right hand out and, and be able to parry the ball out so it was just, just all plays its part in those particular moments when I look back at it I, 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 I kind of look back with with fondness I cringe a little bit because I look at myself and I look at I mean I thought you were going to mention my hairstyle I thought that was the very first thing you were going to mention and I think we could spend a whole episode on that I absolutely adored it I'm about to say I'm just about to say I thought there was an element of uh, jealousy in the tone of your of your question about the game no, disagree. Don't think it's jealousy. Think it's totally admiration. Admiration. I just, I, I loved it. I just <laughs> thought it was, it was brilliant. It, it, and possibly hints of sadness that it's that it's not around because, you know, we could, you know, we're in the wine club now. We're in the podcast club. But geez, I'd like to be in the hair, long hair club with you. Yeah. That, you know, that'd that'd be great. But but Ollie, you, you know, though, I'm missing one key ingredient. Hmm. Do we do we want to go there? Or well, I don't the mind, mate. I'm, I'm okay with it, mate. You can say it. I'm missing enough hair. I, you need more hair, mate, to be able to grow it that long. I'll be an, I'll end up being one of those guys that has all this long hair around the side and around the back of my head and at the top that just wouldn't grow anymore. My son tries well, to convince mullet. me. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I, I might be the new poster boy of the mullet, the mullet campaign, <laughs> exactly. the mullet movement. Hey, Mark, good news on the weekend. We saw professional football come back. We've touched on the fact that the K-League is back, of course, on Optus Sport as well. It was interesting. Let's it cheers to that. Let's, let's just cheers to, to live football being back, let's be honest. Absolutely. Cheers, Huge mate. cheers to that. Massive cheers. It was exciting. It was at a pretty decent time over here. I think it was 11 o'clock in the morning, uh, which worked out well. So if you are listening... Um, uh, and you're from England and you didn't get a chance to watch on the weekend, it's, it's generally at some pretty good times. Um, if we look at just in particular the first game between John Book Motors and the Blue Wings, um, coincidentally the Blue Wings are now my official team. I have um, massively jumped on board. Okay. Uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was different. It was a look into what football or live sport in general uh, will look like during a pandemic. Do you think... I mean, did it, did it work? I mean, it, I mean, it did. They went, it, they went ahead with the round, but was it? I don't, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to get your thoughts on on how you felt about it because it was different. Yeah, of course, it was different. It's not the Premier League. It's not Serie A. It's not La Liga, Bundesliga. You know, of course, it isn't. No, I don't. They're not trying to portray it is. The great thing about it was that live football was back on. We're not watching any more reruns. As good as the reruns have been, as great as it is to delve into, you know, the library, the endless libraries of, of football history. It's unbelievable to have live sport back on TV again. And you know what? Yeah, you could argue and say it wasn't a particularly entertaining game, which was unlucky because, you know, you've got Jean-Paul who were reigning champions. They've won the title three years in a row. Um, huge favourites for this year again. Suwon, you know, up front, you know, when you talk about the Aussie contingent, they've got goals in them. It just didn't happen in the opening game of the season. But you can understand. Considering all things considered, uh, you know, lack of ab- 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 uh, ability to actually get fit, get match practice under their belts before this opener. But it's just brilliant to have football back again. It's brilliant to be able to commentate on it. Brilliant to to watch it. And yes, there wasn't the crowd, there wasn't anything else, but it's live football. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. There was. Um 
you know, p- possibly the spotlight taken off a lot of the other players because we were, were looking out for the Aussies, um, a part of that that opening game. But the only goal scorer, uh, Lee Dong Gook, was is he forty one years of age? He is, mate. Yeah, he's still very, very much in his prime. Young, young fella, really. Let's be honest. Um, yeah, yeah ex teammate of mine. I played with him at Middlesbrough. A uh, really lovely, lovely guy. And I really felt for him when he was at Middlesbrough. He came from Valor Bremen. We signed him, and uh, he struggled a bit at Valor Bremen. And you know what? Technically, he was very, very good. And it wasn't through lack of effort, lack of trying, work rate, that it didn't just quite work for him. I think it was more about timing. It was more about um, maybe nerves for him. I, I don't know. It was just one of those things that just didn't quite work. Everyone, I remember the first, the first uh, two, three months, whatever it was, four, five months, everyone was just, they were desperate for him to score. And he had a few really good chances and he, he just wasn't able to take those chances. Uh, he scored a couple of games in, in cup competitions and I remember the crowd going absolutely crazy when he scored. Uh, but unfortunately, in the Premier League, he didn't score a goal. And that, that was disappointing. You know, it, was, it, was, you know, it was very sad for him. But it's great to have seen that he's gone back to Korea and forged out a really, really good career. And, I, and funny enough, I played against him in the national team. Um, I think it was 2013. And we beat them 2-1. It was in a friendly. And he scored their opening goal uh, to make it 1-0. We were behind. And, uh, and, and we had, it was a bit of a deflection. We had a bit of a laugh about it afterwards. But, you know, really nice guy, and I felt for him. But like I said, he's had a tremendous career, and he did really, 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 really well on the weekend. Came on, used his experience, popped up at the near post. You know, you watch the run. He stands on the near, the near post, or just inside the goal, behind the guy in the near post, who's obviously his job is to, to stand on the post, and he makes that run. He gets in behind everyone. And he's got that free header. The minute he gets in behind someone off the back of their shoulder, then in front of him, when the cross comes in, delivery was very good. And the ball, all it needs is the faintest of touches. And he got that. And it was a really good finish. So in terms of the weekend in general, I thought and felt that it was a pretty decent model for how football does look and operate during these times. Of course, um, as I touched on a little earlier with, with uh, Thomas Broish here, that it feels like, do you think... A, a little bit of a surprise that when you've got three players at Brighton that are currently unnamed but have been tested positive, you've also got five across not just one league but two leagues in Spain. Do we feel like there is a slight surprise that the Bundesliga goes ahead this weekend, considering that you know this is all in Europe? But then you know it's not so much of a surprise that South Korea feel like they've they've got things you know under wraps and, and pretty contained that they should go ahead. Well, let's let's also be honest that Korea has had a bit of a, a spike again in in in, uh, in in people you know getting the virus because of nightclubs being open on the weekend, which was a bit crazy if you think about it. I mean, they've been so great up until this point, and they've opened up bars and nightclubs, and, and there's been a big spike in in, in people catching the virus. Um, Germany, let's not forget also Cologne in Germany had uh, FC Cologne. They had three people uh, come down with the virus. I think two involved um, in the in the football football uh, section but also I think it was one player if not even two players that have been uh, that have come up with the tested positive for the virus so it is an all clear cut and, and, I, and I don't believe it's going to be I think there are going to be players who are going to uh, test positive for the virus it's inevitable We're, nobody's immune to it people are going to get it it's just the, trying to contain it in the best possible way and let's be honest there is a point where we have to try and get back to a to a sense of normality Football is also a big way, sport, live sport is a big way to also, to, to I think also help the greater population to, 
during these difficult times. It gives them something to look forward to, something to, to watch. And if we can do it in the safest possible environment, then hopefully we can slowly get back to any sense of normality. So in that, Mark, I think it's time that we toast another cheers to live football being back. Absolutely. Cheers, mate. Big cheers. Now, mm, we're running out of time here on the Two Sharp Reds, so I think it's time to talk again about this beautiful bottle of the Mother's Milk from First Drop Wines. Of course, it will be in your hands very soon, Mark. Um, it's it's a beautiful bottle, I'll tell you that. It's going to be very difficult for me to be looking out at the corner of my eye and just seeing the bottle hanging around the corner and me trying not to touch it. Uh, but how is uh, your your Paris Street Romanian red wine going down? It's going down really, really well. And, and it's not really a typical Merlot because it's got quite a lot of bite. Um, there's a silkiness to it in the end, but it, it's, at the initial taste, it's got quite a strong bite. And uh, I... Okay, Merlot, uh, generally, you can't, you can't go wrong. I mean, it's, you just read in the description here, it's an attractive deep purple with fresh black currant aromas leading to ripe plum and crushed berry fruits on the palate. Well-balanced with, with a long, silky finish, it's delicious on its own and makes a versatile partner for food. Love it. Love Ooh, it. I'm sold. I'm absolutely sold. Well, one of the other good things about this this wine that I've um, that I've got because it's made uh, in the Adelaide Hills, they also use all the fruit um, that's sourced from the vineyards in um, the Adelaide Hills. So it's got a really unique taste to it. I, f- I feel as well. Uh, it does also say here that um, the first drops is making wines with not only flavour, texture, but also a major splash of funk. And if that's not a sentence that's right in my wheelhouse, then Mark, I don't know what is. <laughs> Brilliant. So bearing all that in mind, having read what, what I've read on the back of this, of this bottle of uh, Paris Street Merlot Romanian wine, 2018, I, again, I'm a, big, I'm a big fan of it. It's got a bit of extra bite and you're, you're definitely turning me in terms of going towards a Shiraz style, a bit more of a full, full-bodied wine. This certainly edges towards that sort of area. I love the, the silky finish with a long silky finish and, and coming you know thinking about all of that it's it's because it's got that bit of boldness at the beginning a bit of a bite um, and it's got a silky finish and a long silky finish there's only one player that pops to mind straight away um, and, and, and we played at two clubs uh, not together at the same time but we played at two clubs one club together at the same time and another club we played at different times of that same club uh, he had a phenomenal strike of the ball um, and at times he had a silky finish he had a, 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 a cultured finish and uh, he was definitely full bodied <laughs> he was a menace he always scored goals wherever he was and gosh he could he could be he could, he'd have a proper bite on him as well if he, if he wasn't, wasn't happy about something if the ball wasn't played in the right place if it wasn't played at the right time geez, he could bite but then more often than not, you give him the ball, he had that silky finish. Whether it was a short one or a long one, he was brilliant at it. And then none other than Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, who I interviewed not long ago. How good is that? I mean, f- full-bodied. <laughs> it's a shame we didn't do this episode before the interview. <laughs> How good. How good. Well, there's only one real thing that's really absolutely stood out. I haven't been able to get it out of my mind, and that's, of course, that the first drop wines are designed with... With the texture and the flavour, but majorly the splash of funk. And there is one person in particular that you think has got all those three things, but possibly known more so for the funk. And and with all that in mind, it's got to be 
it's got to be the great David Beckham, but also specifically if I could change the rules to uh, David Beckham's hair. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's got the it's got the flavour, it's got the texture, uh, but certainly does it. Oh, I mean, that's it's got the absolute epitome of the funk. So, so if you if you could have one footballer's hairstyle or hair, it sounds like to me you'd want David Beckham's. Is that right? Yeah, I, I wouldn't necessarily want one of his hairstyles, but I would want his hair. Okay. So he's been versatile enough to be able to change it. Um, it still looks like it's in pretty good condition, and you know, looks good shaved, looks good long. You know, th- th- yeah, this is what you look for in in good follicle action. What, what it actually, I mean, to me, it really sounds like you've got a man crush on David Beckham. What, what do you mean? Sounds like? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Are you kidding? Who doesn't have a man crush on David Beckham? Yeah, Are you serious? Yeah, uh, no, I'm probably not. A, I wouldn't say I have a man crush. No. No. Really? Yeah. No, More I just admire it. Paul Scores. Paul Scores, man. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Mark, uh, thanks for another enjoyable episode of Two Shut Reds. Thank you to, of course, Thomas Broish. Uh, it was uh, excellent insight there um, on his time in Australia. Of course, on Ange, Mark, uh, it was all very interesting. But, again, I think three times is the lucky charm, is the saying. Th- third time's a charm. So let's cheers once more. It's the fact that football is back in our lives. And, Mark, geez, it feels nice. It certainly does. Cheers, mate. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.